I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So just to be clear... There was an ostrich with a bag on its head. She decided to climb on top of it and no one stopped her. And then the ostrich ran around while she was shrieking and crying on the back of it. I'm just, I'm so confused about how this was allowed to happen. Um, I'm struggling to picture it, Uh, but she did seem genuinely traumatised by it, didn't she? Well, hello and welcome back to the Bake Down podcast with me, Josh Landy, founder of Bake With A Legend, a company that gives you the chance to bake alongside former contestants from the great British Bake Off. Well, it's great to be back with you and thank you so much to the brilliant Emily who stepped in to host the celebrity series whilst I was taking a break on paternity leave. Rest assured, my eight-month-old daughter will be watching the new series. Well, just like last year, Bake Off was filmed in a COVID bubble. And if you want a bit more information on the bakers themselves, then you can go back and listen to the episode we did last week where Dan, Howard and I got to know this year's bakers a little better. Now, this year, we'll be putting out our podcast every Wednesday morning. And if you enjoy listening to us, I ask you to please leave us a lovely review wherever you listen to your podcast. It'll mean the world to us. And also do tell all your Bake Off loving friends to listen to us. Whilst you can also send us your questions or comments to the Bakedown at bakewithalegend.com. Now, you probably remember that we pivoted the business to offering online classes when COVID hit and our online events are thriving. And very excitingly, we are offering a class every Sunday at 5pm UK during the current series where we are going to teach either the signature or the technical challenge. There are just a few packages left for a discounted price to join us every Sunday for 10 weeks, but there are a few spots reserved for those that just want to join week by week. Separately to this, we have over 20 other classes currently on sale. So whatever it is you want to learn to bake, we can teach you. Do check out bakewithalegend.com slash online classes. So episode one, I do hope you'll enjoy it. Let's get into it. I started off the podcast this week by asking Jane if she had had a look at the profiles of the bakers before sitting down to watch episode one. 
I've briefly watched, uh, oh, watched, read the bit about the bakers that was put out on the BBC website. So that's all I know about them, really, or knew about them before I started watching. I think it's it's always very general, isn't it? You can't really get a sense of whether they're good bakers or what they're like just from the blurb, because they all look gorgeous and the blurbs always say very nice things. Not, I'm sure, that there's anything not nice to say about them. So I came, I came into it, but well, like everybody else, pretty much blind. And it's always very exciting to get to know them, I think. And as the series goes on, one gets to know them better and better. So looking, really looking forward to love this episode and really looking forward to the next nine. Yeah, likewise. I mean, Jane, you say that you can't pick out who you think might be a good baker, but Dan Howard and I did our very best efforts to try and see what we could pick out from the information we had. I think I picked out George as the person I would be backing for this series and and Dan remind us who you thought might uh, be going for um well I may have changed my opinion slightly but my initial impression was that uh, Amanda was sort of going to be the runaway favorite but I have other thoughts which I'm sure we'll come to later we will, we will come to them and, and Howard uh, no doubt some of your thoughts have also changed having now watched an episode yeah I, I, I think I, I chose Jürgen um I think Jürgen it is a strong baker. I think he's, uh, you know, got off to a good start. Um, but I think sometimes kind of early front runners are not always the ones who sort of end up at the end. So uh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, Jane has spoken before in the podcast about stamina being so important in terms of getting to the end of, of the show. So we will come on to all of that. It seems an opportune moment to remind all of our listeners that we are doing virtual classes every single Sunday at five o'clock based upon the most recent episode. So Jane, it seems a good time to tell us what you'll be baking with us this coming Sunday. Well, I'm going to be baking a perennial favourite. In, it's certainly in the UK and that is malt loaf. I remember growing up with malt loaf. It's a wonderful, is it a loaf? Is it a cake? Is it a bread? It's squidgy, it's sticky, the stickier the better, absolutely delicious, straight off the loaf or toasted with butter. Brilliant, easy bake that I don't know anybody who doesn't love malt loaf. It can be made vegan if you want. I've never tried to make it gluten-free though. Um, So we're going to be making malt loaf. We're going to be doing some decoration as they have done in the show, although um, we're going to be skipping the ginger because nobody really likes candied ginger in my house. And of course, we're going to be making butter to go along with it, which if you haven't made butter before, it's an absolute revelation, dead easy and absolutely delicious. So that's what we're going to be making on Sunday. Can't wait. No, we're really looking forward to that. And not only are we doing these classes related to the series, we, of course, have all our many other classes as well. So do check out bakewithlegend.com slash online classes if you want to see the full range on offer. And remember, if you use the code podcast you get 10% off there are special packages to sign up to all 10 classes we'll be doing on the Sundays at five o'clock although as we record this there is not too much in terms of availability so do check that out if you are interested right let's get into episode one of the great British Bake Off 2021 and we have to start Howard with this extraordinary song that the four of them seem to sing at the start. I don't know if we all want to sing it in unison, but I'll do my best. <laughs> don't bake my tart, my flaky pastry tart. I just don't think you understand. You'll overbake my tart and that will break my heart. And then you'll never get to shake my hand. 
I mean, was this the highlight of the show for you, Helen? Oh, gosh. I have to admire the, the, the kind of... The lyrics are good. I think the lyrics are good. And I think they, they sort of got into it. I was slightly confused at one point because I started to get Paul and Noel mixed up. I thought they looked so similar. I was quite surprised by that. But, oh, gosh, it went on a bit, didn't it? It was all right for, for a brief thing, quite funny. But then it, you think, oh, please just get on. You've got 12 bakers here who are desperate to show us what they're up to. And you're singing about in a field. Just get on. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument here that we saw more of that song than we did of sort of Giles Eno during, during the episode, potentially. <laughs> I just felt mainly, the, well, the secondhand embarrassment was very real and uh, it probably went on about twice as long as it needed to. Yeah, and I did start to wonder halfway through, you know, we've got 12 people to get through. Maybe we should just get on with the show. So, yeah, maybe maybe we should move past that and get on with our show, Josh. We should. And, and Dan, let's uh, talk about the signature challenge this week. I have seen firsthand your ability to make chocolate mini rolls on dozens of occasions at online classes over the last year. So we, we will start with you. 12 decorative mini rolls they were asked to make here in two hours. What are we looking for here, Dan? A, a perfect swirl, light sponge? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sort of set it up as saying that I know how to make the perfect mini rolls, but I know how to make the perfect mini rolls. I was actually really interested. There are a few things that uh, sort of upset me in the mini roll challenge. I thought the flavours were interesting. There was some some great decoration, but I was very perplexed that people were cooling their sponges flat and not rolling them first. I have never seen that ever. I'm surprised so many of them did it. I was expecting a lot more cracking. And uh, some of these so-called perfect swirls, I didn't think were very perfect at all. I wasn't absolutely blown away uh, by the standard of the mini rolls and the technique uh, that they use. But then again, this is something obviously that I have made many, many, many times and I'd, maybe I'm setting unrealistically high standards. So, but yes, those are my, my musings on the technique of the mini rolls. Jane, what did you make of, of a technique here and whose did you particularly like? Who stood out to you here? First of all, on the technique, I'm totally with Dan. I am not an expert on mini rolls. I have made mini rolls a couple of times to Dan's recipe, which I have to say is very good. Always pre-roll. And why were they all, it was two hour challenge and we make it in two hours in the class. That is the quickest sponge to bake. It takes, oh, eight to 10 minutes to bake. And a flat sponge doesn't take long to cool. So I didn't understand why it was all still warm at the end. I couldn't work out what was going on. You know, we forgive a lot first week in the tent and I really don't want to be the first person to criticise them because they're all nervous and it's very easy to sit on the sofa and um, moan about the way they do things. But I just didn't understand why they weren't getting there in two hours. Why wasn't their sponge called? And who stood out for me (laughs) for different reasons, I think? Oh, God, Tom's. How could you find anything good to say about poor Tom's? I mean, oh, God, they didn't look like rolls. They looked like somebody sat on them. They were absolutely awful. Giuseppe's, I thought, looked beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. As did Freya's. Didn't she do a stunning job to do an imprinted sponge? Uh, And vegan. I thought she did a great job. I think you could see some of the front runners coming to the fore. You know, Jürgen's obviously tasted brilliant. Maggie's, I thought, were good. Um, to do a flourless sponge were amazing. I, we had some good ones and we had some disasters. Poor Lizzie's. 
I don't know what she was doing there, but I like the idea that she thought she could throw some flowers on it and cover it up. <laughs> it takes more than a pansy to cover up a wrecked mini roll. But all in all, I mean, I thought it was really good fun. Flavours were lovely. Christelle's flavours sounded delicious. I must admit, I'm going to try that cardamom and coconut mixture. I thought it looked really nice. So on the whole, I mean, a very entertaining challenge i thought it was now, now howard a few things stood out to me firstly we saw jürgen's well he's got a pet rabbit and he seems to have some sort of in-house band in his family and he of course was making this black forest mini roll as was tom and it almost seemed a slight advantage that jürgen might have on this being from the black forest himself and then we had this bizarre situation at the end with self-judging, have you ever seen anything like it? I don't know what that was about. Wasn't it strange? I thought, I don't know why. Uh, I, I, I thought at first Paul could taste something odd in it and he was going to make Jürgen taste it in order for him to be able to identify it. But all he got him to do was to admit that it was really, really nice. So I thought, what strange. That I think this has got off to a very strange start. You know, you've been dancing outside in your boots and then you come in and you want Jürgen to taste his own mini roll. Very odd. Yeah, it, it was an unusual element. I almost thought he was going to ask him to taste it because there was something not quite right with it and he wanted him to identify it, but it was, it was the opposite. Dan, something else that leapt out to me is that we saw inside Lizzie's kitchen and she seems to be some sort of bake-off super fan. She had, I think, all of her, Paul Hollywood and, and Prue's face dotted around her kitchen uh, presumably you've got similar Dan no yeah I found that a little disturbing uh that would be quite odd to wander into someone's kitchen and find that they've got sort of pictures of you stuck up all around wouldn't it she did have a bit of an obsession with serial killers didn't we discover and uh yeah it's starting to look like this may run a little bit deeper than even we thought so yeah I'm slightly concerned about Lizzie um but I thought she, I enjoyed Lizzie a lot and I particularly enjoyed her story about the ostrich which I was sure we will come on to shortly but in terms of the mini rolls, a couple of things I just wanted to pick up on was Chiggs really impressed me. So his was, you know, I said I said in, in the preview show that we did that sometimes experience isn't always helpful if you can sort of lead you to sort of overthinking and overcomplicating. And he did sort of a quite a classic, you know, it was sort of a van, uh, vanilla sponge with a strawberry cream and covered in chocolate, but it was really well executed and it was delicious. And that was kind of surprising. I wasn't expecting that. And I, I thought his looked lovely. It maybe wasn't as exciting as some of the other ones, but I thought it was really, really well executed. And Christelle also really uh, stuck out to me in that one. I thought that looked beautiful. And I really doubted Christelle because she said that in her bio, she didn't cope very well with stress, but I think she might be underselling herself a little bit there. I think Christelle is going to be one to watch. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. Now, Jane, just, just briefly, I want to talk about Giuseppe because I think his were perhaps the most visually impressive. I mean, have we ever seen someone more Italian than, than Giuseppe? I think even for all Italians would think he is, is pushing a stereotype too far. I mean, even in the, the small amount of video we saw from his house, he appeared to be making pizza with his kids. They were rolling out a pizza dough, weren't they? He, he looks one to watch to me. I think him and Jürgen, our German and our Italian friends here, it could be an international winner perhaps this year. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, Giuseppe is so Italian, isn't he? And if he's been learning baking from his nonna's apron strings, then he is really going to be a one to watch. I thought the precision of being an engineer as well, if he's got precision along with the flavours and the baking ability, 
I think he is going to make it all the way. I'm putting my money on him as being one of the finalists, I must say. I, I like Giuseppe a lot. He had a very, a just quietly confident without being too showy-offy manner. I, I, no, I really liked him. And Jürgen, well, again, I mean, the, the whole German precision thing, as well as with some lovely flavours and a, a wonderful manner with him. I, you know, I think both of those could be in the final for me. And Christelle, as everybody said, I, I just think at the moment we've got some good ones and we've got some ones that are perhaps not quite as good bakers at this stage. But with Henry, Henry, sorry, Henry, but with what Harrod said, I just called you Harrod. Who? <laughs> with, sorry. But I think as Howard said earlier, it, you can't always tell from the first episode I think my money was on Nadia going out before the halfway stage well what did I know um she just got better and better so I'm not writing anybody off at this stage but yeah uh, Giuseppe and Jürgen fantastic on flavors and precision and everything that makes a wonderful mini roll I could actually eat one now I haven't had any breakfast yet I briefly thought that you were going to be advocating for Henry to make a return to this series. I know you were hugely supportive of him last time around, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think I think it would be uh, amazing if if Henry did sort of just get flown in to uh, to take part in this uh, in this <laughs> series. We could do that. Get our one favourite from the last series flown in to the next series, so the sort of continuity. Yeah, we could have Henry back. Henry, come back. Everything about Henry is wonderful. Jane, I know you've advocated in the past for a sort of best of series, but is there an argument to say once once there have been 12 series and you could have 12 winners potentially come back, maybe maybe that is something that could be be looked at. So um, moving on from these uh, wonderful decorative mini rolls, which we saw, and uh, as Jane said, we had some that were extremely impressive and, some perhaps less so. We moved on to this technical challenge. Now, I am under 35, so I would have had every excuse to uh, not be familiar with the malt loaf according to what we heard and saw. But I, I am familiar with it, and I am looking forward to uh, sitting on Jane's class at the weekend to learn uh, how to bake one. Now, Howard, rich uh, and moist, that's what apparently we're going for here in the, in the two hours. Do you, do you make a malt loaf occasionally, Howard? I have made a malt loaf in the past. I haven't made one recently, I must admit. And it's one of those things that I think, although it's perfectly possible to do it in within two hours, I'm not sure it's entirely at its best, you know, after that. So I think they were judging it more or less fresh. And actually, I think malt loaf is one of those things that is quite nice the day after. I think it develops a, a little bit more stickiness and a bit more maturity, a little bit like gingerbread or or parking or something like that. Paul was talking quite a lot when he was judging about the tension of it. And you need that, I suppose, the structure in a malt loaf. It has a certain tension to it when you slice into it. And I think that gets better after a day, personally. Jane, you're, you're nodding there. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I thought, actually, if you eat the malt loaf that we've all, or some of us who are considerably over 35, have grown up with, it's very dense. It's very sticky. And theirs looked more cakey to me. And I, I don't know why. They all looked quite well risen. Whereas we're used to them being flatter, flatter and squidgier. And like Howard, I think you've got to leave it a day, at least a day to get that 
characteristic sticky squidginess in the middle. So of course they can't leave it a day till they taste it on Bake Off. So if we make it in the class, we will decorate it and do whatever we do in our two hour class. But I'll certainly be urging people not to decorate it, not to cover it with the sticky syrup until maybe the day after, because it certainly improves. That just looked more like a tea loaf, you know, but a cake rather than the characteristic malt loaf. But it looks absolutely delicious. And we make it all in different ways as well. I mean, they use prunes. Do they use figs in theirs as well? I can't remember. The one that we all buy over here just has raisins in. Um, so my recipe just has raisins in. It, it's an unusual one. If you haven't had it before, which I suspect people in the US have not had a malt loaf before, you won't have eaten anything like it. And sorry, rattling on about this. The whole malt thing, when I, we were kids, I remember my mother having jars of either cod liver oil or malt extract and we would get a spoonful of that in the morning I'm sure malt extract wasn't terribly good for us um, but the malt extract I absolutely love it it takes me back to my childhood I love the flavor and the smell of it it's you can't describe it unless you've had it so I urge anybody who's never had a malt loaf to rush out and get a jar of malt extract and um, have a spoonful it's absolutely delicious Dan, have you made some malt loaves and, and what are the dangers here in getting this wrong? We were hearing, weren't we, from Paul and Prue about the risk of uh, undermix and leaving lumps or overmix with that creating gluten? Well, I have a confession to make. I've actually never made malt loaf, so I'm not an expert on malt loaf. But as Jane uh, said, malt has got quite an unusual flavour. It's very pleasant. I sometimes add a little spoon of it to my sourdough and it adds another little sort of flavour uh, profile to it. It's very delicious. This bake on the surface of it is quite simple, but I think that's one of the things that really separates the wheat from the chaff. When it's a simple bake, there's nowhere to hide. All the mistakes are obvious. Um, and I think it was really sort of, it shows who's got the instinct. And I think maybe that's why somebody like Maggie, who has lots and lots of baking experience, did uh, a very, very good job. Although I think Freya was second, wasn't she? So uh, maybe it goes to show maybe there's a, a bit of uh, instinct as well. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a good one to start with. It was interesting that they made their own butter and candied their own peel as well. Uh, that obviously took up some of the time and it was uh, there was some interesting variation in the peel. Maybe people didn't know what that was supposed to look like. The most interesting part of the technical for me was when they were talking about who Chigs looked like. Now, I don't know if this was important to anyone else, but do you remember there was a, on, a guy on the X Factor years ago called Chico who sang the song, <laughs> It's Chico Time. I swear, when I first saw Chigs, I was like, that is Chico. And I Googled it and, and, and I, they don't look anything like each other. Uh, oh. It must have just been, been my memory. But um, I was just wondering how many other people out there thought that was Chico. I was absolutely convinced of it for a good 10 minutes. <laughs> Well, I remember Chico and I don't think he looked anything like him at all. <laughs> I equally didn't think he looked anything like the things that the people that Noel was it Noel that was saying who he looked like. Actually, I didn't know who a couple of those people were, but <laughs> there we go. I thought he was great. Chico loved him. I've just got a photo up of uh, Chico on the internet here. And I'm not convinced it's a lookalike, but possibly a better lookalike than Peter Andre, which was uh, which was offered as one of the thoughts as well. I mean, how would we, we had Freya, who, I mean, how many times are we going to hear the word vegan during this series? I mean, at what point do we just accept that she's baking vegan? Do you think by about week three or four, if she's there, they'll still be mentioning it? I think so. I thought it was a bit bit ironic when Prue was saying about uh, just 
quickly back to her minerals about using the aquafaba in, in that. And she said she was full of admiration because um, she's she's only used them a few times. I thought, well, you set a vegan pavlova in, in series nine. But you've forgotten about that, but yes. So either she hasn't used aquafaba very much and it wasn't her recipe in the first place or she's just forgotten about it. It's a good oh, thing you're here recipe. to remind her. <laughs> So what did you make, Howard? We had Maggie, obviously, as a winner, who, who on the face of it, could be the most active 70-year-old in, in the whole country. I mean, she was playing tennis, and we heard about her other adventurous nature in the bios that you get sent ahead of the series. What, what do you make of, of Maggie? Sort of very experienced and could could go far for you? Yeah, I think, I think she could. I think uh, it'll be interesting... At the moment, we're only seeing what, what Maggie can do in terms of kind of baking experience. I'm not seeing an awful lot of kind of innovation or creativity or anything like that. I think she's a really, really good, solid home baker with lots and lots of experience. What I'd love to see is for her to put something a little bit more of an individual spin on things, I think. Now, now Dan, we had a few down the bottom here. Amanda got um, some fairly critical feedbacks and, and Chiggs was told his was doughy. Uh, it's got to affect your confidence quite early on in your in your first technical if, you, if you're coming down at the bottom. Yeah, I think we all want the first episode to go well. And that's sort of like why my heart broke for, you know, George in the signature or, you know, and Lizzie, because you know that they're fighting back from it. And yeah, coming sort of low in the technical is not going to help your self-confidence whatsoever. That happened to me in the first episode. I did quite, I mean, I did quite badly in the first signature. And then luckily I did all right in the technical. But yeah, it's not a good feeling. Yeah, that was the moment probably when Amanda dropped off my radar as my favourite when she came last in the first technical. But no, there's everything to play for still. You know, there are three challenges and um, everyone can make a mistake. It's how you come back from those mistakes that makes all the difference. So, Jane, on Sunday, who, who do you say your Mortlock is most likely to, to be like? We're, we're going for a Maggie who came out on top here. We're absolutely going for a Maggie. That's what um, else is going to be like. To be honest, I don't think anybody did really badly on that Mortlock. They were finding things. And they were finding things to criticise. I think they all looked as though they did a pretty good job on it. It's hard not to, to be perfectly honest. It is a relatively simple bake. And I think, um, but Amanda, having flower pockets, you can be gentle, but you shouldn't have flower pockets. I mean, that's just a bit of dodgy mixing, isn't it? Sorry, Amanda. But considering that some of them had never, never made one before, I think they all did a pretty good job. I'm not going to criticise any of them. I, I think it was, I've seen some awful technicals and frankly, I've done some awful technicals. We don't mention damp noodle in this house. But as a, as a general, whole general thing, I think they did a pretty good job on the technical. Yeah, I think it was tiny little bits that made the difference. Absolutely. And we, we saw, of course, you know, Giuseppe do such, such a great signature and then come lower down in the, in the tentacle. So you can be up in one and, and down another on opening week. Now, Dan, you mentioned this earlier, this story that Lizzie told us about this ostrich. Do you believe it, first and foremost? And have you experienced something similar yourself? Have you ever rode on an ostrich? I, I can't say that I have. I'm very confused about this story and how old she was when this happened. So just to be clear... There was an ostrich with a bag on its head. She decided to climb on top of it and no one stopped her. And then the ostrich ran around while she was shrieking and crying on the back of it. 
I'm just, I'm so confused about how this was allowed to happen. I'm struggling to picture it, uh, but she did seem genuinely traumatised by it, didn't she? I, I liked the, the contrast of her looking, look at she reliving some horrifying memory and Noel just thinking it sounded like the best day ever. I think it's just sometimes it's a matter of happiness is a matter of perspective, isn't it? <laughs> oh, to be fair, yeah. though, she doesn't, she's traumatised by malt extract as well. Mm. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to know more, really. <laughs> well, there was a bit of an animal theme. I mean, the, the, her, her giraffe-inspired mini rolls, weren't they? With, with the, the way that she was trying to do those earlier in the show. So there was obviously an am, a, animal theme. I was just wondering if this is almost one of those sort of family myth stories that just becomes more bizarre each, each Christmas and, and may have just been that she saw an ostrich age two. And by the time she was three, it had a bang on it. By the time four, she'd ridden it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's one of, one of those, I wonder. Howard, have you have you got any thoughts here on the ostrich? I don't think I've ever come into contact with an ostrich. I did have a macaw on my shoulder. I've got a, a photo of me being a, a, a small child to a kind of zoo or something. And they made children have their photo taken with a macaw on their shoulder. So I'm there with my little woolly hat and a macaw on my shoulder. So I, I just wonder whether it was one of those things where they were encouraging children to ride on backs of ostriches. I wouldn't advocate that. I'm surprised she went anywhere near it. I don't know if you've seen an ostrich up close, but they're huge. They're like, they're sometimes like sort of like seven foot tall. They're absolutely enormous and quite horrifying. I just can't believe a child would get on one. <laughs> I don't like uh, maybe maybe she's braver than I was as a child. Who knows? I'm gonna Google, to, can you ride an ostrich? I've beaten you to it, Jane. I've already oh. done it. And, and uh, <laughs> Google says, yes, in certain places, ostrich riding is available and even a common tourist pastime. This tends uh-huh. to be in countries like South Africa. It is less popular now, but an activity <laughs> that is available to tourists. The first main link that comes up is uh, why you should never ride an ostrich. <laughs> Tourism teacher. As with any tourist activity that involves animals, ostrich riding comes with many questions surrounding the ethics and morals. And if you want to find out more about that, I suggest you go to a website called tourismteacher.com slash ostrich dash riding who would have thought we'd have gone to ostrich riding reviewing the first opening week of bake-off 2021 so just to recap then maggie of course winning the technical challenge and freya despite being the youngest baker who apparently might not know what a malt looks like she did particularly well Now, the showstopper, a chance to show a bit of that creativity. And we were looking for something that was going to defy gravity. Dan, some of them had different interpretations, seemingly, of what defy gravity could mean. Yeah, I don't want to pile straight onto Tom, but I'm going to do it. So, yeah, I I thought that was bizarre that that even got passed, because we have to submit our recipes, and they sort of say, they might not tell you to change it directly, but they will give you sort of like hints and guidance. And I'm very, very surprised that no one sort of said to him, you're not hitting the brief at all. Because it reminded me of kind of, uh, do you remember from last season, there was a uh, Mac and he didn't really sculpt his biscuits. He just kind of stuck them together and didn't sculpt them. And I just thought, God, sidestepping the challenge, whether deliberately or not, is just such an error. So I thought, poor old Tom, um, 
you know, he was definitely up against it. Maybe wasn't the most exciting uh, design anyway. I like some of the other ones. I really liked the idea of uh, Rashikas with a little hanging apple. I thought that was great. I thought Jürgen's was particularly interesting. Christelle's blew me away with her little sort of standing upright bouquet of flowers. I sort of hinted at the start that I'm I'm really hot on Christelle right now. Going to have to, uh, at some point... Uh, in the first episode, uh, pick a winner. I have picked the winner correctly the last two seasons. Three, including if you include the one I was on, but obviously I did know who won that one. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm going to stick my flag in now and say that I'm going to pick my winner as Christelle. Uh, She impressed me uh, with her signature, with the decoration, and she definitely impressed me with her showstopper. I don't remember how she did it in the technical, but with with the signature and the showstopper, she's, I've got her pegged as the winner already. I feel like at this point we should all peg a winner. How are you feeling about this, Howard? Well, yes, I was sort of going towards Christelle as well, so I now need to pick somebody else, don't I? You can Uh, pick Christelle. We can uh, share. Thank you so much. Well, although I think Jürgen is very strong, as I said earlier, I'm not entirely convinced he is going to be the winner. So who might surprise me? Yeah, I I think think I'm going to stick with Christelle, actually, because I I do think that she's got something. She came eighth, actually, in in technical, which is not not bad. Jane, are you going to pick a winner for us at, at this point? I'm not going to pick Christelle, that's for sure. That would be very dull, wouldn't it? Oh, boys, honestly. (laughs) Oh, it's hard um, because, yes, I like Jürgen. I thought that was very clever, his lamp. I think I am going to go with Giuseppe because I'm going to let his lovely Italian flavours come through. He's been using different fillings. He used ricotta and he used that lovely orange that they use um, over in Italy, which is much nicer than some of the orange flower flavourings that we've got. Yeah, I'm going to go with Giuseppe. I'm going to go with that curly hair and wonderful Italian style and um, his precision. So, yeah, I'm going for Giuseppe. How about you, John? Well, Jürgen, I think, really. It'll have to be Jürgen if, if I'm being sent in a, a different direction. And it, it seems obvious, you know, having had such a strong um, first week, that he, he was uh, very impressive and he's going to get my vote. So we will see how we all do mm. as we, um, in, in terms of our predictions throughout the series. Now, Jane, who, who else stood out to you here, showstopper-wise? There was such a variety in terms of, you know, some incredibly impressive looking showstoppers down to, well, Jarzino. I mean, we should talk about him. When I looked at the, the lovely illustration that Tom Hovey had done of his bake, it, it didn't even look that gravity defying to me. I mean, I would have liked to have seen how it was supposed to look because it looked quite in, impressive for a cake, but it didn't think it looked particularly anti grab. But why do a rolled sponge? You know, you know it's your first week. You know it's going to be hard. The anti-gravity thing is the bit that they're going to test you on, plus obviously the flavours. And um, why do a rolled sponge? I just didn't understand why he was going for that. It just made his life so difficult. Tom's was a bit of a disaster, bless him. But to be honestly, Josino's looked even less anti-grav than Tom's did. I thought he... His flavours may have been fantastic. I loved the idea of the guava buttercream, but he didn't seem to get quite as much criticism about the lack of anti-gravness that Tom did. So I was, as always, we perhaps it's done in the editing, perhaps 
yeah, they saw things in Josinos that we didn't see. But if I went back and did Baker Hall all over again, knowing what I know now, you just don't pick things that are that difficult on a big challenge with not much time. And I think that's a lesson for anybody who's an aspiring bake-off baker. Pick things that you know you can do in the time because that roll sponge was all an unnecessary risk, I thought, for, for a difficult challenge. But I did feel sorry for him. But you said, who stood out? To be honest, I thought a lot of them looked very scruffy. Sorry, guys. Um, again, I should not be criticising from the sofa. Um, but Christelle's obviously was brilliant. Freya's fantastic the, the flower piping was lovely and Giuseppe's yeah Jürgen's of course um but Giuseppe's I thought looked so neat and lovely and I thought for a first showstopper at the beginning of the series he did an amazing job yeah cake maybe a little dry you can't tell that from from watching but there were, I think there were three or four that were really good and there were eight more that really need work I, I was a little disappointed at the neatness I think we've in other series, we've seen some fantastically neat things that I sit back and think, oh, gosh, I'm really glad I'm not on that show because I'd be going home. I think this year they really need to work on their neatness. Howard, um, Lizzie, perhaps, was uh, was guilty of this, wasn't it? She, we saw the side of her cake when she was getting that feedback and it was uh, a definite mess, although Prue said she could eat eat a bowl of it. It's an expression you, you liked, Howard. Would you eat a bowl of cake? I don't, I, well, I, I think it was partly because it was kind of bowl shaped, wasn't it? So it was peaches and and cream in a in a bowl. I think, um, although they did look like sort of possibly dead goldfish floating on the top of a of a bowl. It did sound very nice. I like the the idea of mascarpone and peach and bit of yuzu in there but yes I think the criticism was it was a bit simplistic and as Jane said I think one or two of them suffered a little bit from being a bit simplistic I would just come back to Josino I I wonder Dan touched on this about with Tom's not hitting the brief and somebody ought to have picked up on the fact that he was doing something that wasn't particularly anti-gravity I think Josino had at least come up with a design that had some element of anti-gravity to it and it was just the execution of it on the day that prevented him from being able to deliver that as Jane says probably not the most sensible way of actually constructing the cake. Now something else I wanted to pick up on here was Freya said that what she was making she regarded as the best ever chocolate related cake but she did say that she would eat cake off the floor and this reminded me of an email we got after one of our Bake with Legend online classes with Dan actually when one of the participants said that their dog had knocked over the entirety of the mini rolls and was debating whether they were still acceptable to eat and like how long a bake can be on the floor for but still be eaten what are your approaches on this Dan have you must have dropped some bakes and have you decided to still eat them what happens with them the five second rule isn't a thing it's dirty the second it hits the floor but some people let their dogs lick their faces don't they I've seen that so I mean maybe if that doesn't bother you I mean I know where dogs mouths go so that's not I'm that's not my jam I'm not down with that but um... <laughs> would you would you let an ostrich lick you though or just oh, is it all I, wouldn't, animals? I wouldn't let an ostrich anywhere near me. <laughs> horrifying things 
Jane, Dan's saying here that he simply wouldn't eat it. A five-second rule does not exist. What about in your household? Is there, is there a five-second rule? You have dogs, of course. You have I dogs. do have dogs, and I do know where their mouths go, and I definitely don't let them lick my face. If I'm being a responsible adult here on the podcast, it is dirty as soon as it hits the floor, and especially if you've got dogs, especially if you don't wash the floor as often, you know, like me, as often as it probably needs. Don't eat it off the floor if you're listening at home. And the truth of the matter is occasionally something hits the floor and I go, oh, OK, well, that didn't stay very long and I do eat it. So, yeah, I don't always follow my own advice. A bit disgusting, really. But then I think my immune system is probably... We used to just see when I used to do a lot of gardening and I had dirty hands and um, I used to eat my sandwiches without washing my hands. So I am really not the best person to comment on this. I'm pretty gross. I have to say all my food is very safe. Um, I don't make other people eat dirty. Disgusting. Now, Howard, long-time listeners of the podcast will remember uh, about all those chickens that you have running around in your place. So with, with all of them making, no doubt, lots of lots of mess, presumably you wouldn't dare have anything eaten off the floor in your place. No, not at all. I can still hear. I, I, I think it's right from being a, a small child, my mum would say, dirty. Like that sort of point out if you drop something on the floor. So I can still hear her saying things like that. So no, I'm I'm not a great uh, floor eater. Go on, Dan. You, was there something you wanted to add? I just wanted to say on the subject of Freya, I'm really warming to her a lot. I like the fact that she's sort of quite self-deprecating, but she's actually delivering some really, really good results. Uh, I love the buttercream flowers. I do love a cake decorated with buttercream. It's much harder to do, in my opinion. But some of these fondant ones, I mean, we all know that fondant is absolutely revolting stuff. But the reason we use it is because it can sort of provide a very attractive finish. But some of the people who use fondant didn't even manage to achieve an attractive finish. So I was very impressed with, with Freya. I think Christelle did slightly outshine her in the buttercream flowers department on this occasion. But I'm really, I'm really got my eye on Freya. I think she's, she's going to deliver us some exciting things. And I do think that being vegan is going to be problematic. Like if, they, if I mean, God help her if they have to make a Claire's or something. But I think she could deliver us some, some, some really exciting stuff. And I've got high hopes for her. Yeah, she will definitely be the, the one to watch. And of course, if we just think back to last series, series 11, we had such a young winner, didn't we, in Peter, who was 20. So to, to have a 19-year-old winner seems uh, equally plausible. Now, Howard, it wouldn't be an episode of The Bakedown if we did not receive a hump from you. So what have you got for us this week? I hope you haven't forgotten that this was an integral part of the podcast. It's been a while since we did one. No, I. it's take your pick. I've got quite a few, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear them. Let's hear them. Howard, we could do this. I think, the fir- I think the first thing is actually the, the showstopper. So an anti-gravity cake. And clearly what they had to do was not use one of the commercially available anti-gravity cake kind of structures that you can buy. So you can get at various kind of cake shops and, and places something which will form a kind of structure that will allow you to do an anti-gravity cake. They had to do something from scratch. So somebody like Jürgen, who was very, very good at kind of constructing things with spanners and, and what have you, I think had a bit of an advantage there. And I think it you, you sort of get to the point where you think, is this actually about baking or is it about engineering? You know, so I think there was I think there was a problem for me with the actual the way that bakers were made to 
construct something or use the ingenuity of people that they knew in order to be able to get a cake. I, I don't think that's a great test of, of baking. But the other thing was, we're back to Paul again. Oh, bless him. He does get the opportunity to say some really stupid things, doesn't he? I suppose he, he he's paid to do so. But there's such anodyne and kind of almost nonsensical stuff at the beginning. First thing was, the mini roll packs a punch in such a small little cake. Well, I've never seen a mini roll punching. I think it's just, it's a mini roll. Yeah. Uh, think, think of the sponge, he said. Think of the filling and think of the overall look. Oh, that's sensible advice. Paul, we'll do that. Yes. And then he said, it's the first time the bakers have really got to impress us and really show us what they can do. Yes, it's the first challenge. Oh, Record-breaking, I think I counted four humps. Uh, <laughs> them. If anyone has uh, further humps that they want to uh, submit, do, do send them in to the Bake Down at bakewithalegend.com. And we come to Judge Jane, the time in the podcast when we find out if Jane and indeed Dan and Howard believe that the decisions that were made in the Bake Off this week were the correct decision. So were we seeing the right decision to see Jürgen as star baker and poor Tom departing? Well, it's very difficult, I think, because I thought it could go either way on, on both of those. I thought it was really close between Jazzino and Tom. If I'd had to put my money on it, I'd have probably said it was Jazzino going home, but it must have been down to flavours. His flavours must have been better than Tom's because it was so close. Really think that was close. And as for Star Baker, again, I think it's down to flavour. I mean, I, I think it could have been Christelle. I think it could have been Jürgen. And I wouldn't have liked to have chosen between the two because I thought Christelle, I don't, I was just looking. I mean, she came, I think perhaps she came a bit lower in the technical than Jürgen. Where did Jürgen come? So maybe she came a bit lower than, than Jürgen. So it was close between the, the two of them. I think Giuseppe came a close third with that one. So, yeah, we'll put it down to flavours. I, I don't really object to the winner or the loser. It was close. And let's hope it's close every week because it makes them for a much more exciting viewing, doesn't it? Uh, if, if we've got some really good up there. And I, I, let's hope next week. For, uh, just to say... For any of you bakers that might be listening, and I hope you're all listening because, of course, we are fantastic. If we haven't mentioned you this week, we will mention you next week. There are just so many of you and you all deserve a mention. And, and sorry if we haven't got around to you. Just quickly, Diana, a word on our, our star baker and poor Tom Depine. I sort of maybe thought Christelle might win, but yeah, I think the technical did let her down a little bit. And poor old Tom, uh, yeah. I thought George, the technical saved George. I think he might have been in a lot of trouble otherwise um, because his mini rolls were pretty disastrous and his showstop was a bit scrappy. But I relate to someone who struggles hard in week one. So um, I also did that. I came third in, no, I came fourth in the technical in week one. I lie. Um, yeah, but I think things will change in the second episode. That was certainly my experience in our season, that everything kind of switched around and different people did better than others in the second episode. So nothing's set in stone yet, and we'll just have to wait and see how things play out over the next few episodes before we can really decide who's going to be there for the final and who's uh, going to fall by the wayside. Absolutely. We can't wait for week two of the Bake Off here in the UK next Tuesday night. And very excitingly, of course, all our American 
listeners will know that it is being shown on Netflix from midnight Friday. So you are just three days behind us over there, which we hope will mean that you can also enjoy listening to this podcast in tandem. A final reminder to definitely check out all of our many, many online classes. There are about 25 different online classes that are on our website at the moment, baitwithlegend.com forward slash online classes. Remember to use the code podcast to get 10% off. And we are still delivering group events. So if you are thinking of how you can get all of your work colleagues together or friends and family, do check out our virtual private events. And of course, we are back doing events in person for groups and team building. So if you'd like any information on that and you're here in the UK, do check out our website. Well, thanks to Jane, to Dan and to Howard. It's been joyous to be back reviewing a Bake Off episode and we will see you all again next Wednesday. heard a stripped media production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.